In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The world breaks everyone. Ernest Hemingway famously wrote in A Farewell to Arms, the world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places, but those that will not break, it kills. Or both, it breaks and kills, it makes strong. I've added the last piece, it's a quote I think I must have gotten from Ron Rollheiser or from Richard Rohr, and I can't seem to give it back. It's a wonderful insight into what redemption is all about. And we start our text today with this redemption growing, the church growing in the days following Pentecost and the disciples beaten, bent, and broken men and women in the aftermath of the crucifixion, redirected by the resurrection, now repurposed and refitted to the task of taking up the story and taking on piece by piece the work done and the words uttered by their master, Jesus. Peter has preached Gone is a hesitance to name and claim his affiliation with the risen Lord. He speaks boldly, filled with the spirit which has just that morning come down, inebriating them with unlimited possibility and focusing them with stone-cold sober sense of purpose and direction. We are not drunk, he says. We have not lost our senses or stumbled out of our right mind. Indeed, we have seen into the heart and mind of God. As he shared with the prophets and with you, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The people are convinced and convicted. The fellowship gathers openly, and the Lord adds to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Then another line is crossed, a healing. Peter encounters the beggar lame from birth, who every day sits at the temple at the beautiful gate. In the name of our holy servant Jesus, a healing is spoken into being. Limbs are straightened, and tendon and muscle, living flesh, bind themselves to the dry bones. What was broken is fixed, no, made better than before. That which the Lord Jesus did when he walked the earth, not to draw attention to himself or to make himself special, but to point to and usher in the reign of God, Peter now does, in the same power for the same purpose. Peter puts this act of God through his mediation in the context of the future, breaking now into the present, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We should see this coming, he's saying, this time for the restoring of all things, We've placed it at the end of time, but here it is showing up right on time at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour completely unexpected, just like Jesus. The future not waiting expectantly on tiptoe anymore, 
but putting boots on the ground, pouring into the present. There is shock and awe and inebriation of spirit in the streets, but in the temple there is a dour consternation. God is not supposed to move around like this. He's doing a new thing with or without the religious establishment. And that doesn't sit well with the scribes and Pharisees. God is on the move. All bets are off. Where is God going, of course? He's going where Jesus goes. Back to the cross. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He hands the cross then, like his baton, to his disciples, who will follow him wherever he leads, all of them in one way or another. This is what the work of the Spirit does. The sheep know his voice. They know he is their shepherd, a good shepherd, a good God, and they follow him. Wherever he leads them now, they will follow. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Really, I've known some very good shepherds indeed when we have had the chance to trace our family's roots back to Iceland, back to the East Fjords. The shepherds, though, there know every one of their sheep by sight and by the name they gave them when they were born. When the priest came and blessed each and every one of the sheep by name at their birth. When they die, in out of season, if you like, the children share in burying them and marking their grave with a cross and their name inscribed on. The sheep roam freely over the whole island in the season. There are no wolves in Iceland, no predators. But when the earth opens in fire and ash, a volcanic fissure or an old, a new volcanic fissure or an old one blowing its top again, the toxic debris falls like rain on the flocks. The shepherds are out there trying to get them back risking their own lives, yes. Good, but not what Jesus is saying. God in Christ does not risk his life. He gives it, hands himself right over to the wolves, the rabid predators, that would be you and me, God in the hands of angry sinners. Why? Out of love. And not, as Luther writes, human love, which loves what is already lovely. No, God's love, which loves the unlovely, and by loving, loves them into loveliness. Luther scholar Sameli Juntunen writes, quote, For Luther, God in his essence is a pure giving love, whose motive is not to get good for himself, but to give good to that which lacks it in itself. One-way love, grace as we call it. No reciprocity needed, no reciprocity sought. He gives good to that which lacks it in itself. God's love is creative. 
It never finds its object as something pre-existent. Rather, it turns to that which is nothing and in itself needy in order to create it and make it existent and good through loving it. You want to know how to love? That's our calling, too. You go then to search for the unlovely, and you'll find them everywhere you find the loveliness of your fellow human beings or even your fellow creatures. The lovely and unlovely are bound together in our world in the most mysterious ways. I find it very interesting that some of those who seem the beautiful people perfectly put together on the outside, who seem to have it most together in the world's eyes, are aching to know that they are loved. For whom they are or are struggling to become on the inside for who they really are. You can have 150 Facebook friends and be the loneliest person in the world. We look to the heart and we seek our God to lead us there with all the risks that that entails, as God does. And as I say again and again, just to try to keep myself on that path, we give regardless of how much or how little we get back. We don't force love on anyone. There are boundaries which are acutely sensed, boundaries of the heart. But we offer our love where we're called to offer it. The love is, after all, not ours. It's God's to be given freely, not hoarded, to flow unhindered through us like the river of life. Luther, in his commentary on today's text of 1 John, comments, not a love in return for favors, but one that unceasingly gives, forgives, and works all good even when unrequited. And we all know what unrequited love is like when you love and are not loved back in any range in which love can work among friends, among families, parents to children, and it goes on. You want to know brokenness, try to keep on loving someone who doesn't love you. And yet we're called to that and to nothing less. So as Christ heals and raises the dead, he too goes to death for love of us. I lay down my life that I may take it up again, not just death, but death as the gate of life. How do we do this? Maybe by dying, but there are many, many other ways of laying down our lives before that moment sets us free. We lay down our lives when we empty our pockets, as the text says, to those in need. We do better when we do not dismiss, do give the, the needs uh, of, of existence to those who need it with a cold, dead hand, but with a heart full of compassion. We lay down our lives when we empty our hearts and simply lift up our hands, raise them in surrender and say, I give up. I'm broken, bottomed out, hit the wall, crashed and burned. Only then, it seems, do we turn to the Father. Only then can he work through our brokenness and we can work past our brokenness to him. Accept the offer that his love is enough, not just necessary, but sufficient. 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, because we lay down our lives. He loves us because we are who we are. But as we learn to give without hope of return, we find a love that comes from him that suffuses us with grace that we may not receive back. When we're broken, then we're open, ready to ask, ready to listen, ready to receive, ready to act. Then we must also accept that the Father's love in no way moves the world to do the same thing. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We've left the world then, unable to love, unable to share. Who is my brother? As Matt Gemmel so eloquently shared from his heart, my brother is the nearest person to me, my neighbor. He's also the furthest person away. Is my brother or my sister just another Christian? No. It's said again and again, even my enemy, especially my enemy, is my brother. After all, it was while we were his enemies that he first loved to us. First loved us. He does not wait for us to get our act together and then come into his presence. He comes to us as we are and loves us into holiness. So as the world thrashes with this simple message, the most threatening message you can offer as the church, that we love unconditionally those who have done us nothing by which to give them cause to hope for love back from us. Let us gladly let go as the world turns away whatever power, privilege, and prestige the world deigned to accord us in the church when we sought to have the best of both worlds, the best of both kingdoms. Status in the world, status in the church. Have it all together, have it all in one. Work out what we want to take and what we don't want from that abundance. Those days are over, thanks be to God. We may, for not a long time, see them come back in the backlash which is going to come upon Christianity in the years to come. And when that comes, we will be set so free, so free to show who Jesus is, that the world will begin to notice. The world is on its way out. This empire and all empires are running down on empty, and we're not going down with it. This is not the ship to hang on to. But we like the shepherds, are racing to gather the sheep from this ship. We relate through our brokenness to the brokenness in everyone. It's called compassion. On both sides of the spectrum, whether locked in personal piety or yearning for social justice, we can become as angry as slaves and as hard as nails as we pursue our cherished ideal. We need to be broken so our sharing can bring some of God's love to those who will receive it and include those who feel very much shut out by our zeal. Even now, then, the kingdom is breaking in, and the king, 
He came as a servant, not in full body armor, ready to take no prisoners. He came as a servant to give his life. He will return in glory and in love. Jesus did not wait for Pentecost to see Peter and the others at their best, to love them then. When he went to the cross on the darkest day in the life of the world, he went on their darkest day too, for love of them as they were and as they would be in his love. For love of we, for we too are his chosen people, and like Israel, a people of no distinction whatsoever. As he says, not the biggest, not the strongest, not the smartest, not the holiest, not the best. That's not why I cho chose you, God says. I chose you because you were broken. You were slaves, every one of you, every one of us broken in our relationships, in our memories, in our dreams. Jesus met us there, and he's returning with love to gather us into a broken world, to the world that broke him on the cross. He came back to this world, his world, that had cast him out. He came back to make it strongest at the broken places. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat>